You're listening to the Finding Your Future in Food Systems podcast hosted by the North American Food Systems Network. The North American Food Systems Network is a professional development association for people working to strengthen local and regional food systems. In this podcast, we present different businesses and organizations across Europe working to develop food systems in their communities and across the continent. In this episode, we'll be talking about the Square Food Foundation with Barney. Our goal here is to introduce organizations that you may be able to learn from and get involved with. Now let's dive in and meet our guest. Yeah, so uh, my name is Barney Horton and I live and work in Bristol, which is a a city in the southwest of England. It was once one of the great ports of uh, Great Britain, less so now. And I have a project in South Bristol called Square Food Foundation, which is a a cookery school, a food education charity, and uh, many, many other things as well. And that's been running. um, I started it 12 12 years ago, and it's, it's been running for 12 years. Yeah. And so can you kind of share why you kind of became so passionate about food and wanting to teach others about cooking? Well, I think the passion for food came as often is the case from early childhood. Um, <laughs> I think there are not many of us who wouldn't say that if we're passionate about food. It's all those influences. Um, it's family life. I was one of a very large family of siblings. Um, my mother was a, was a really good cook. She also cared about provenance and, and, and nature and was a member of an organization called the Soil Association a, a long, long time ago, long before anybody had even heard of it. Um, and so that that was a kind of um, that was the context in which I was growing up. Um, uh, and my grandmother was a great cook. Uh, and many of of, uh, of the listeners to this podcast will not have heard of a woman called Elizabeth David. <laughs> if you if they were to look her up, they would they would discover that she was was a kind of pioneer herself. She she brought to the UK to Great Britain a thinking about food, particularly from France, but about food and simplicity, how just three ingredients, uh, if they're really good ingredients, make a wonderful dish. So that was, a, that was an early influence for me too. And as I said, I was a, I was a teacher um, in an ordinary school uh, teaching English. So I always felt that capacity to be able to, to teach and perhaps inspire children in the first place so it wasn't a big step in a way towards opening a a cookery school and also bringing in the context of the world of restaurants and I think I think it's, it's, it's interesting how although for the last 30 or 40 years restaurants have been big news in people's food thinking you know they've set trends uh they are influencers they're celebrities and there's they're a big part of the the brand image of food at the consumer end, but they have almost zero, with the exception of a few great people, interest in the food system, which I find really incredible. Uh, and it's something that we might want to come onto a bit more, but I'm just putting it there because it's a it's a it's a very interesting idea, really. Yeah. Before we move forward, could you kind of, in your words, define what you believe is a food system? Because I know it's it's pretty broad. And so, yeah, that's a good question, Vivian. (laughs) (laughs) It's one that's very difficult. I mean, a food system is you could say a food system is everything uh, that happens from the soil to the plate that I mean, that 
in a sense, we've all heard that expression from soil to plate or from, you know, fork to whatever it is, fork to fork. But that's what it is. Everything that we eat comes from the soil. And it's really about that journey. Uh, that is a food system. And the food system that we've become accustomed to is the industrialized food system in which um, the separation between what happens on the plate, between the eating, the origins of the food, the context, the growing, the methods, the people, transport, and of course, two other major factors, which is which are packaging and processing, have all in a way become stages in the, the evolution of the food system over the last hundred hundred years or so. The food system that we are part of as human beings right now is not one that's sustainable. And I think we kind of recognize that. And there are there are many factors. So that means when we go to a to a supermarket and we buy our week's shopping, for most people, what they buy will have nothing to do with place that they eat it in, the landscape, uh, the locality, the region. It will have come from far, far away, and it will have been through multiple changes, probably on its journey. And we know now that we we can't go on, we can't go on eating like this. We have to find other ways. And so that's that's the big challenge for the future of food. How do we do this? We know the problem, I think, um, and I'd be happy, Vivian, if I haven't explained enough uh, what I mean by a food system to to talk further. But I think we all. Even everybody, I think, has, if you asked anybody on, on the street, what do you think is wrong with the food system, if you were able to explain what it is, and they, they would be able to say with what I'm saying in a way. Yeah. And so what is Square Food Foundation and how, or what is its role in the, your local food system? So um, Square Food Foundation is a, a, it's a charity, first of all. So it's a, it's a, it's a not-for-profit organization, which... It is a at its at its heart, it's a cookery school. So we have people coming from all walks of life, from people with learning disabilities, primary school children, secondary school children, youngsters who want to become chefs. We have young people and children with Down syndrome and elderly people. Uh, so it's it's a very broad church that we provide the the cooking experience for, and it's um and it's a really, I would say. It's one of the most exciting and uh, inspiring environments that I think anybody could be part of. Um, it's it's centered around cooking, sharing, eating together. That's what happens every day in the cookery school, regardless of who it's with. We, we've got we're a very small team of something like eight eight people now. We have a an event an event catering wing which generates income. And actually, I'm I'm in the kitchen now, where Stuart is is making some food for a lunch delivery that we're doing today, and that will that will raise money for the charity. And it's a really good part of part of our work. It's a really important part of our work as well. So you mentioned that you have these. Uh, it's a cookery school. So kind of, what does that look like? Are the people that are coming in do they come multiple days for workshops, or is it a one time thing? Could you kind of describe that yeah. a bit more? Yeah. So sometimes there are just one-off classes. So so somebody might want to come and learn about Spanish cooking. So we'll do a masterclass in Spanish cooking, perhaps. But for the most part, we run programs and they are 
for instance, we have one which is called Back in the Kitchen, and it's for, for over 65s, people who are over 65, and generally people who are at risk of ex, sort of exclusion from sort of social environments. Um, so it's a, it's a way of getting them to have a, a more sociable life. And that just runs every Monday morning. That's what's going on. One of the, the cookery teachers, Dan, teaches that class and he has a really amazing relationship with with all with the whole class um, it's very funny it's very lively and it's not making great demands on on the participants as students it's just cooking together and having fun and eating some lovely food at the end of it and often taking taking food home as well We've also got a sort of young chefs program that runs for eight weeks um, and it's a it's helping young people who aren't in work or in training or education to get a step up into the into the hospitality industry. And it might mean that they will go and work in a restaurant or a cafe or a care home or a school. So we're encouraging them to think of that world of hospitality as not just being restaurants, not just being bars and that kind of thing, but but a whole range of things, you know, thinking of the word itself, that hospitality is a the welcome thing is a really important message that we're trying to instill in those students. I think it's worth saying that one of the most interesting programs that we've started to run recently is, is called the Food Leadership Program. And that's about people who are in a number of different sectors, usually the public sector, like the prison service or the care service or the health service or schools, to develop confidence and skill themselves to be able to teach a cookery class but more than that perhaps to work with within their organization it might be a shop teaching other staff the knowledge that they have gained around what is a food system why does it matter what's our relationship with it what is our responsibility as an individual and how can we uh, improve our relationship with it and it's it's um, health and sustainability. So I think that that one program that we're we're running, which we're trying to roll out and and do have sort of franchised versions of it, is going to be key to to scaling up the change towards sustainability. Uh, at the moment, as you'll know, Vivian, it's a kind of thousands across the world, th hundreds of thousands of amazing organisations. We're all beavering away in education, in growing, in, in cooking, and in all of the aspects of the food chain. And it's, but we are individual little hubs. We need to grow that, that capacity. And it's all about capacity building. And food leadership itself enables people who are not necessarily in the food world, they could be in administration, they could be in a law firm uh, that has a canteen, or a law firm that doesn't have a canteen, but where there's an opportunity to educate um, the, the partners in, in a better understanding of the food system. So it's a, it's, I think it's a very exciting program, that particular one. And so it sounds like you're really trying to make the programs that are available accessible to everyone. How does Square Food keep these you know, amazing programs accessible to everyone? It's a good question. We are you talking um, about funding here, particularly? Or yeah, not? or yeah. both. So yeah. kind of however you want to touch base on that. Of like, is it free for the participant yeah. to be it's, involved, it, and then how are they able to? Yeah. How are you able to do that? 
So it's free at the point of contact for everybody. Um, some programs are commissioned by a body like the National Health Service, a school or a, a, another charity might pay us, but for the most part, for a particular program, but for the most part, we raise money through grants and foundations within, mostly within Bristol. And actually that's a, a really interesting subject on its own, which is how do we, how do organizations like Square Food Foundation, how does anybody who's coming into wanting to make a difference to the food system, to the health of people's lives, fund their work. And one thing that we've learned in the last, particularly in the last two or three years, I'm going to say it began before the pandemic, and there's another story, is to do with partnerships, to do with getting together with other organizations, sometimes collaborative funding bids. You know, there's a strength in numbers. Funders like the idea of, of partnerships because there's there's collaboration, there's trust, there's a, there's a bigger plan, there's potential for greater reach. So I think I think that's that's one principle that we've now learnt and, and and take on board. But essentially, every our funding is for a project. Uh, in other words, we come up with an idea, uh, whether it's work for a program teaching primary school teachers to teach cooking, for instance. That's something that given the fact there's supposed to be food education in schools. Most of the teachers teaching in schools don't, particularly at primary school level, don't themselves have great skills or knowledge. Uh, and we have to raise money to do that. So we, we do it through grants and foundations. Yeah. So what type of things are participants learning in these cooking classes in regards to, you know, cooking and food itself? So it, if you like, it's all, I'm going to say, you, could, you can teach... The whole food system uh, around one recipe. You could, let's say it's a, a leek and potato soup. Um, okay. you, you can talk about leeks and potatoes as component parts of a of a soup, and take the story back to the origins of both those two ingredients, those two products. You can talk about where they came from, the kind of climate, the kind of conditions. The you can talk about it from a, a soil perspective or from a vegetable family perspective. I mean, I think one of the things that we've we've learned to bring to all our programs is the concept of the story of food, story of one ingredient from the beginning uh, to the end, and how it fits in with the ecosystem with the bigger maybe global food landscape and what its nutrient value is for for a consumer so i think even with small children that story of food is really exciting i'll give you an example so we 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 do with primary schools a thing called the story of bread and it's a week uh working with all the whole school first of all in assemblies, in class, uh, with the teachers. So the teachers will teach something maybe about the history of, of wheat varieties in, in the region of the west of England, which is where the schools that we work with are. This is Bristol's in the west of England. And of course, the chemistry around how bread is made, what's it made of, what happens when it rises, when the dough rises. And so if you see what I mean, you can... Either, if you think about it, there isn't, you take rice, you could take, uh, what else could you take? Milk. Milk is a good one because it involves animals and it involves cheese. It involves a whole range of, of products that come from 
come from from mammalian milk. I learned the other day, by the way, which is quite interesting, that milk is not a liquid. This is what a cheesemaker was telling me. Oh, I did not did know you, that. Did you know that? No. So what? It, no. What would milk be? It's an emulsion. I mean, it's a okay. it's a moot, it's a moot point. But it was an interesting thing for for that. And the other thing is that the only milk that can be made into cheese is one that comes from mammals oh. because because of the protein in it. But so, you know, there, there are a whole range of interesting things just just yeah. about that one little subject you could <laughs> talk about forever. So and I think I think the more we can bring that message of this world of food, which is the food system and our place in it, because that's important. We're just a, another animal on the planet, right. another being, another species. The more we can see ourselves as being a part of nature, in the context of, of, of the food system, the greater the possibility that we can take responsibility for, for what we eat and the, the food choices that we make. Yeah. And so you mentioned that in these uh, food classes that you cook together and then you share the meal afterwards. What is the, the kind of value that you see in sharing that meal together afterwards you cooked instead of, you know, having the meal cooked and then sending them home with the food that they've made? What's the importance of kind of sitting down and eating together? Yeah, I mean it's a big, it's a it's a wonderful question to answer, and it's a it's a a difficult one as well. I think I would, in a, in the metaphorical sense, I'd use that word chemistry, and that comes through not just the fact that everyone is sharing food that they've cooked together, and hopefully, and it's one of our aims always within a class is to make sure that the food that, that ends up on the plate is something delicious itself. We know it's going to be good. It's not going to be uh, so we, we'll guide that process. So there we all are sitting round a table in front of food that everybody has had a, had a share in making. So that in itself is, is really important. It's bringing people together. It's a comfortable, safe, comforting, reassuring space. But also what always happens around food is conversation. The three sort of areas of of how we see what happens at a meal is that is connection, conversation, and I've forgotten the other one. I'll, it'll come to me in a minute. Um, <laughs> but no, it's um, the, the conversation thing is really is really important, and often it's people who don't have conversations at home uh, are not used to necessarily articulating their thoughts or their feelings or their ideas, their hopes, their anxieties. It might seem obvious to most people who are listening to this, I would say, that we don't have a problem with, with chatting, yeah. uh, having things to chat about. Uh, but I can tell you a lot of the groups that we work with don't have that confidence, that capacity. And so as well as sharing lovely food, people are learning to develop communication skills. It sounds horribly patronizing and it's not meant to be, but it's really absolutely key to that experience. And we have seen young people, old people, people with learning difficulties develop over a period of the program, two to three months on, have ch they've changed. They've become more confident and more articulate. And, and it's good. We're learning too. We learn all the time from that as well. So it's a, and you can measure those things. You can measure the changes. We have obviously in order to get funding. So if anybody goes on a journey of, wanting to start a 
food education project, mm -hmm. evaluation, measuring, assessing, or these rather tedious things that you've got to be able to do to prove that what you're doing is really making a difference. It's part of the, it's part of the, the game, if you like, of getting funding and also being confident yourself as an organization that you are making a difference and you can see it in the, if you like, the statistics. Yeah. Mm. So kind of going on off of what you said, you've been open for, you know, a few years or, or a lot of years now. What's kind of Square Foods role in the community and how have you seen the community change since Square Foods kind of existence? Very, it's very interesting. So that the, I mentioned earlier that we're in a city in the southwest of England and yeah. we're in the south, on the south side of the river of that city. And the south side historically has been the poor side it most of it was up until before the second world war was uh was big industry it was tobacco actually for one thing but it was also steel and other other industries and then all that ceased all the the communities they were they were designated slums <clears throat> they weren't necessarily were just raised so that suddenly all the communities of south bristol were moved into the into what became estates council estates and there is in that history quite a, a significant impact on the communities themselves we wouldn't do that now people understand better local governments understand better um that you can't uproot people in that way but it's it's um it's a pattern that has been uh, followed, developed in almost all major Western industrial cities. That's the, that's what's happened over the last 50, 60, 70 years. And so the communities that we're dealing with, that we're working with, I should say, in South Bristol are tend to be in, in the sort of education, health, employment, and all other indices, they score quite low. So as, as a demographic, it's the, the least educated, the least successful in terms of employment, and there are big, big, big health issues as well. So we're, we started 12 years ago as a middle class on a mission organization, if you like, which was just me and one other person, by the way, then. Strong team. <laughs> <laughs> moving, into, moving into an old school canteen, which is where we were to start a cookery school and a big food education project. The question I asked myself is, what right do I have to come into this community and start preaching to people about, not that I wanted to preach necessarily, but I really asked myself that question. What place did I have? But what we knew, what we know better now is that you've got to start somewhere and it's going to take time. And you start just by offering something something really simple, just a, a connection, come and see what we're doing. And it's about building trust and it takes time. And it, really, you could say when the pandemic hit, that was the measure of what, what had developed. It, it showed what had developed between us and the community. But, and it was, it was great that it had. By that time, we were really part of what was going on in Null West, which is the little bit of the city that we, we occupy. And we, we knew people, we knew all the different organizations, we knew the estates, we knew the schools. So we had an understanding of what made people tick and being able to sort of identify that sort of regional, local map of people is was really important. Yeah. 
So for our listeners, if they, if someone is interested in food education in the way that Square Food is doing it, what's kind of your advice and suggestion on how one may kind of get involved with that type of work and even with Square Food? So do, do I understand what, what if people want to come and visit Square Food or co- contact Square Food? Yeah, so that's kind of a, a two-part question. So yes. a little confusing, sorry about that. So one is... No, no specifically to square food if someone is interested in kind of getting involved how can they get involved how can they help um, and support you in the work that you're doing and kind of the other side of that question is you know if they're unable to be with you in person exactly like how else can they be doing work to kind of help your mission of wanting to spread more awareness around food education how can someone get involved in that kind of space if they're kind of just starting uh, yeah. off in their career. Yes, no, no, I, I get the question. Well, it, the, 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 in answer to the first part of your question, I would say that um, just get in touch with me um, in the <laughs> first place. Make it make, and then we can have a, we can have an email exchange or whatever it, whatever it might be, and see what, what comes of that. Um, I can tell you one thing, which is that knowing that that this this conversation I'm having with you in itself, Vivian, is is consequential and and important and valuable for Square Food Foundation. And not just for for Square Food Foundation itself, but the concept of it, that people, your listeners, know that this is something that's going on in in Bristol, in the UK, um, because they're going to be listening to this because they're interested in in changing things. So that's, that's really valuable for us. But I would say if you're starting out, start local start really local and almost like a prerequisite um and and i think most people would would know that so if you wanted to start like a cooking club which is a really good beginning to any any food education venture any systems change mission just a cooking club where you can ha- it can happen in your own kitchen it can happen as long as you've got some skills yourself then i mean cooking skills and you can you know, you enjoy people's companionship or, you know, being with other people, then you can start a cooking club and that can can develop. And I think probably the other really important thing is to have somebody else to work with. I would say one person, if, if and a bit like, and I'm, perhaps I'm, I'm offering this because this is how I started. I, I really had one person to work with, but you need somebody else or a couple of people to share ideas with. It's affirming. To, to know that what you're what you're doing is on the right track and you know to have that strength in a small um, committed number of people and so as a small team um, I'm aware that you guys have a lot of volunteers and so what's kind of the role of volunteers with square food and can anyone volunteer mm. all our volunteers who come and assist in classes or in um, various other areas of the organization so we've got a, probably a pool of about 50 or maybe more, maybe it's even a hundred. Wow. That's incredible. Who are, who, who become friends of Square Food Foundation, whom we work with and um, not just, they're not just, they don't just come along for a class, but we know them as, as people. And there's a sort of transactional relationship with them as well. And I, I would, and we had a, we had a big celebration about a month ago, six weeks ago, a sort of a thank you to all the volunteers. Um, and I realized that the volunteers who work at Square Food Foundation are as important, and this is not lip service, 
this is absolutely real. They're as important as all of us who are either part-time or, or full-time staff. And they, you know, when we think about the meal times that I was talking about earlier and, and the conversations that happen, they're part of that as well. Um, and that's a, all the, the participants of the classes also know them as being part of the, the Square Food Foundation family. And I think that's, you know, that's important too. And it, that there is that sense of, of family because one of the things that in this bewildering world, world that we now are living in and the future that we're facing of uncertainty and of all the things that go with it, where it's whether it's political or it's environmental or whether it's the price of things or whatever it is, um, there's something about things being on a human scale that is tremendously important to sort of understand. Yeah. So a lot of our listeners, you know, some have food backgrounds and some might not, but are just interested in, you know, kind of diving into the food world and a food a career in that's related to food. What's kind of your advice to someone that's kind of maybe new to food, but is really interested or passionate about working in this area? Like how, what kind of advice would you give to them? Where can they start? Yeah. I mean, I mentioned earlier about, you know, starting a, a little cookery club, but actually that's, I, we've also talked about the fact that there, across the whole world, there are thousands and thousands of fantastic organizations already on the journey, already doing the work, amazing models for, for, for the future of food, for the positive future of food. Get to know one of those, get to know some, some organization, go and volunteer. That's always a good way to start to get on the, on that sort of that journey. And, you, you know, it doesn't matter whether you live in a, in a big town, little town, or even in, in a rural environment, although that's more difficult. It's, it's more obviously available in, or visible in cities, there's going to be something that you can connect with. So just, just go along. And the other thing you'll find when you, if you do connect with an organization, you'll begin to realize what your own path might be. It might be that you can, on the back of that, start something yourself, that, uh, that you can develop a particular mission that comes out of connecting with an existing organization, or you can end up being part of that organization. So I think I think start small, yeah. <laughs> uh, volunteering, all those things. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I don't think we've ever been in a in a, a a time in human history where we're on the almost on the cusp of some some really exciting changes in how we perceive what we're doing on this planet. Yeah. You know, it's it. I know there's the great big monolithic machine that is continues to thunder along and, and doing all the damage that it's doing but sitting underneath that uh and a growing uh movement uh are people who who are making a, a fantastic and exciting difference around them yeah
Yeah. So one, I was going to just say one thing that, yeah. if which I'm kind of, it's a question almost I would put to anybody who's listening to this, which is most people I talk to when we talk about government's inertia, not doing what we want them to do, would want to see greater acceleration of of decarbonization of policy that enables countries to decarbonize more quickly that the governments aren't doing enough that's what we all say yeah. i wonder sometimes whether if a government was to call our bluff on that was to say okay guys this is what it's going to take for for this government for this country for you to achieve net zero in 20 years rather than 50 years or whatever you're going to have to do without the following things you're going to have to, and so i think when at the moment we're in this sort of theoretical stage of dealing adapting as human beings to to climate change and so the the question to everybody is are we really ready to make those individual personal changes ourselves and and therefore as as important as doing the work and i love what we do at square food foundation and we are making a difference we've all got to including you know I don't exclude myself find ways of of reducing our own impact uh, our own carbon footprint and working more with you know with nature and with being leading simpler lives and maybe yeah. being happier as well i don't know no, that's a <laughs> super tough question and i ask myself that often and i think a lot of people that are interested in food, at least that I talk to, the biggest question they ask is, how do they afford it? Because I think there's this connotation of better food is always expensive. And so there's that challenge of, do they go to the supermarket and just buy the most expensive thing? And is that enough? If They're like, is that me contributing to the food system? So I think it's a huge challenge. And I don't really, I'm at the point where, I mean, it's hard if you can't afford to maybe go to the farmer's market and you know go to the source I don't know there's there's yeah. so many questions around how it, what can someone do <laughs> it is it is it's really really tough um and you know it's we're not we're not you can't and the other thing is you can't judge we have a right. capacity at the moment to, to judge people yeah. uh we, we are we're we, we're entering into that sort of era of of, of indignation and self-righteousness and judgment and everything else we need to step aside from that and just do what we can ourselves and what you've just said vivian is is true for all of us we're all juggling these questions um as long as we're we're asking ourselves that the, the questions that's a good thing i think yeah i agree we gotta be kinder to everyone around us and ourselves yes. <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah and so one final question is, should be very easy, is, you know, to our listeners that want to learn more about you and Square Food, where do they go? How do they learn more? Come on to the, the Square Food Foundation website. Thanks. I mean, we would so welcome any of your listeners would be hugely welcome to come have a look at what we're doing. Like all websites that belong to um, charities that don't have much money it's it's a, a little bit amateurish but it does <laughs> give a lovely picture of who we are and what we do um and but get in touch as well yeah we would welcome connection with with anybody from from the wider global food systems future community well that is our episode thank you so much for listening to the finding your future in food systems podcast and thank you so much barney for sharing more information about your foundation be sure to check their website out and get in touch with them if you're interested in volunteering. 
And you can find us at foodsystemsnetwork.org, where you can find all of our other social channels. If you're interested in being featured on the podcast or know an organization that would be, please feel free to email us at kim at foodsystemsnetwork.org. And we'd like to give a special thank you to the composer of our intro and outro music, Bo Vincent. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time. Cheers, Vivian.